I'd like to welcome everyone to Antioch Bible Study. We bless the name of the Lord for his goodness and mercy to us. It is such a wonderful blessing that you and I are found in the land of the living today. Blessed be God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'd like to welcome everybody, and I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit will breathe life through the Word of God into all of us, to the end that we may be conformed to the image of our Savior. So the kingdom of our God will prosper in us and through us. Father, we surrender to you. May your Spirit take over this hour and cause us to have understanding in the ways of our Lord, that we may follow daily in his footsteps to the end that your kingdom may prosper in us and prosper through us. Oh Lord, bless everyone under the sound of my voice. And as many as you have ordained to be here, Lord, hasten their steps to join us. We thank you for your love and care. For it is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Now we continue our study, the Gospel of John, Gospel of John. And today we are going to John chapter 7, and I'm reading from verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jewish feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast, I'm not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not Hello, doctor. We seem to have lost you. Or is it just me? Audio is gone. No one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. The Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, 
you shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Amen. Now, when we study a book of the Bible, like the Gospel of John, we must be careful not to assume that the historical narrative we study are in some chronological order. The evangelist stated his objective for writing at the end of the book, almost, John 20, 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. So his narrative consists of historical events designed to kindle faith in the Son of God and the Son of Man, so that those who believe will enter into eternal life now. That's the purpose, so that those who believe may have life. Now, chapter 7 begins with, after these things, and that would therefore refer to events and incidents that lie between the feeding of the 5,000 and all the occasions where our Lord revealed the truth about the bread of life. And then this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, which usually takes place between the end of September to early October. And it's one of the, quote-unquote, compulsory feasts for every Jewish man. Now, although the feeding of the 5,000 was in Galilee, we understand that quite a few religious leaders from Judea did come down to Galilee to question this itinerant preacher from Nazareth, the open opposition of our Lord and his teachings appear to be directly related to the healing of the paralytic by the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, which we saw in John chapter 5. Because it was dawn on the Shabbat day, it offended the religious sensibilities, sensibilities of the Pharisees, who were sticklers for the law, and also of the Sadducees, who were mainly priests and the teachers and enforcers of the law. Now, we were told earlier in John chapter 5, verse 16, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Shabbat. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Shabbat, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, usually, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always on opposite sides against each other in most things. But they were united in their opposition of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, he's, he's telling us now that every time situations develop in our lives, we must be careful to be led by God in all things. He lived, our Lord Jesus Christ, he lived a life that followed a program from heaven. And that program defined his itinerary and movements in detail. Because there was a danger to his person, the Jews sought to kill him. He was careful to follow the heavenly program while here on earth. So, he would accomplish. You see, the whole idea is that he must accomplish. And that's what you and I need to pick up. He must accomplish the divine purpose. But he also must accomplish it in the divine way. And also in the divine timing. Very important. That's why he said to his disciples when it was all over in Luke 24, 44. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Everything written concerning me must be fulfilled. But when the time was right, therefore, he made his way to Jerusalem for his rendezvous with destiny. As we are told in Luke 19, 28, after saying these things, Jesus headed straight up to Jerusalem. When he got near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olives, he sent off two of the disciples with instructions. Now, this is now what we call the triumphant entry. That was his last visit to Jerusalem to eat his last Passover and then exit. We must learn from him how to be led by God in detail. You know, somebody once told me, a brother once told me, say, well, I don't really ask God for details. All I do is when I wake up in the morning, I say to him, Lord, I commit all the day into your hand, you know, and then I go on in the day, believing that uh, he's guiding my every step. I said, that's good. But we need to go a little further than that to receive details because here we have a situation where the life of our Lord Jesus Christ was in danger and there was the possibility that if they killed him prematurely they might truncate the divine agenda and so it was necessary for him to be led in detail so when he told his brothers, you go up to Jerusalem, I'm not going yet, you know. Somebody listening to that may say, ooh, I didn't realize this man is also afraid like the rest of us. It has nothing to do with fear or lack of courage, but has everything to do with the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was insistent in doing God's will in God's way, and in God's timing. And that's important for you and I to learn.
Those who follow God have no apologies to make to men. We are here to run his agenda, his way, and not our way. Now, we come to the matter of his brethren. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here, go into Judea, and that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, his family was identified during his stopover in Nazareth, his hometown, as reported in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Shabbat had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, Prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, this incident in Nazareth was also reported in Matthew 13.54. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended in him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Now, his brothers <clears throat> only joined his band of disciples after his resurrection and ascension as we are told in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers we do not have any record that our Lord Jesus Christ visited his earthly family in the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension but his family joined up with his disciples and James, his brother, we see in Acts chapter 15, where he was the chairman of the very first council of Jerusalem, as revealed in Acts chapter 15, from verse 13 to 21. You can check that up yourself. Now, some people have suggested that... Um, these people were um, sons of Joseph, not sons of Mary. I just put up my hand. I don't go into such argument. There is no indication whatsoever that Mary and Joseph didn't have children. There is no indication. If we are to go by the word that Joseph received in Matthew chapter 1, he said, do not um, do anything with her until she has delivered her firstborn child. And the Bible says in that Matthew 1 that Joseph did not 
obeyed the angel and did not touch Mary until after she had delivered the child. And so there's every reason to believe that these were, well, still have brothers of Jesus because um, Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit and his mother was a surrogate mother. Okay. So some people have suggested then that these, his brothers, they riot him in order to benefit from his popularity at a wider level. But I think that is very improbable that the only reason why they um, 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 goaded him like that, you know, it couldn't be because they wanted him to be more popular. So by association, they too will become popular. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's probably a matter of sibling rivalry. And, and think about it yourself as I think about it. You know, if you grew up and you had an elder brother, okay, and then one day you, you, you hear him saying, I came down from heaven. You don't tell me that you will believe it immediately. You know, so, so, so uh, uh, they had a natural, what I would call natural uh, difficulties. Okay. So what I think they were saying to him was stop concentrating here in Galilee, go to Judea, for that is where the action is. All these miracles in Galilee, yes, but if you did them in Jerusalem, oh, wow, it would be awesome. Well, it is impossible to de precisely determine their motive, but I think it's some form of sibling rivalry. But the summary is that they did not believe in him, so their motive could not have been helpful to his cause, naturally. His response was as a matter of fact, in John chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Jesus said, the opposition I'm having is because I have not ceased to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's why, you know, even today, where, where you preach against sin, iniquity, against injustice, against evil, against immorality, you find that many people gravitate away from it. You know, I've even had a preacher say, well, you make people sin conscious. <laughs> It is the same gospel that makes people sin conscious, that makes them holy. Because if they are conscious of the fact that when you sin, you offend God, then they will lead a holy life. They will know that sin does make God angry. And there are some who suppose that uh, because Jesus has forgiven us our sins, he died for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Sin is not that important to God anymore. That, that is an unbelievable uh, uh, thought. God cannot send Jesus to the cross, compel him, as it were, okay, to incarnate and become a human being, and he will remain a human being like us for eternity. He cannot do all of that. 
so that you and I can have a license to continue to sin. No, the whole idea is that the repentant may be forgiven of their sin and then henceforth empowered, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to sin no more. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. We'll get there. He said to the woman caught right-handed in adultery, there's no point condemning you. But what is important to your life is that go back and don't do it again. Don't do it again. So sin is still very much important to God. That's why he sent Jesus to die. And that's why, like Peter said in 1 Peter 15, that's he who has called you is holy. You and I should, are called to live holy. You know, we are called to live holy. So Jesus said to them, because of the gospel I preach, because of the position I take on holiness and righteousness, I'm very unpopular and they want to kill me. They don't want to kill you. So if you enter Jerusalem for the feast, nobody will bother. Because as soon as I enter, they will say, now nah, he will start teaching those things again that we don't want to hear. Our Lord Jesus was running a divinely orchestrated agenda on earth with its times and seasons and schedules. He had a clear idea of how it was going to pan out. For he mentioned it to his disciples in Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So it wasn't a question of whether he was dodging that uh, destiny. No, it was all about the timing. But it must run its course as ordained by the Father. And for that to happen, our Lord Jesus had to follow the blueprint from heaven. So it's important for you and I to imbibe that, you know, um, Jesus was going to die, uh, 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 in a sense, a matter. But not anyhow. It has to comply with the divine program so it will fulfill the divine purpose. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it. And we learn from our Lord that we must follow our spirit guide in detail. Yes, he was going to be crucified by the elders using the Gentiles. But it must comply with God's ordained plans and fit into prophecy in particular. Now, this is the Feast of Tabernacles not the Passover. Subsequently, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians said in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7b, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So if there was any possibility that our Lord Jesus Christ was going to be murdered at the Feast of Tabernacles, it will not fit into the divine agenda. And that's why he said to his brothers, you can go to Jerusalem anytime you like. I need to stay here until heaven signals me that the coast is clear. So he was to die, not as a sacrifice of the feast of tabernacles, but as our substitute sacrifice at the feast of Passover. 
so that we may be brought from death to life through him. Some have looked at this and wondered if he was simply not lacking in boldness and courage. But as if in answer to them, he went to Jerusalem after heaven had signaled that the coast was clear. He stayed back in Galilee because he would not allow anyone to pressure him into doing anything before that all-important signal from heaven that the coast was clear. Now, it is important for you and I to grab this because people, people can do this to you and I as well. Oh, prove that you are this. So, you know, you are macho, you are this, you know, and, and you want to, to show that, yes, I, I'm not really afraid. Our Lord Jesus Christ has taught us that. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. When you are following God, you do not have to prove anything to anybody. Just follow the divine agenda. Whatever God wants to prove to them will be proven. This is a vital lesson for every believer in Christ following the Lord. The Apostle Paul caught this in 1 Corinthians 2.15. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Yes, this is the mind of Christ that insists to do things, in do God's will in God's way. So, this is the one, this is the only way that you and I can um, uh, uh, avoid what I call unnecessary sufferings, unnecessary sufferings, you know, because a lot of people suffer unnecessarily because of these uh, not being able to follow God in detail. The God we serve is neither whimsical nor capricious. It doesn't, it doesn't put people through pain and suffering for no justification. No, that's why we must be careful. You know, we must be very careful to be flagged off by the Lord for anything we engage in so that whatever we meet there, we are confident that the Lord will intervene and, and uh, glorify his name. So Jerusalem, here I come. Verse 10, however, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one will say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. So he delayed his arrival. Allow the flurry and all the force about his presence at the feast to wax and wane, rise and fall. And by the middle of the feast, when they had practically given up, maybe he's not coming at all. Okay. <laughs> the Bible says he arrives secretly, as it were. Okay. Now, what does that mean? Somebody, again, you know, there are always critics who will say, well, why, why was he coming secretly? No, you have to do things in detail. What is that man is a question that reveals the intensity of their desire to lay their hands on him and arrest him. This was the point our Lord Jesus was making to his family. You can go to Jerusalem anytime you like, 
because nobody is waiting to arrest you as soon as you appear. Yes, they will arrest me, but it is not yet time. That's the whole point. They will arrest me, surely, but it is not yet time. This was why he had to wait for heaven to signal that it was now time to go to the feast. I've always believed that one good reason that the Lord made the Holy Spirit dwell within you and I is so that we can have the benefits of this type of control for our lives. And so reduce unnecessary dangers and unnecessary suffering. When we respond to our world through the promptings of the spirit within us, we have the awesome privilege of an integrated and informed opinion because the God who is guiding us, he sees the future now. The God of heaven sees the past, the present, and the future. And by this deliberate delay in his arrival, he controlled the events of the occasion, as we will see later. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because when he got into Jerusalem, he went straight into the temple. He came to the feast secretly, meaning quietly. And that is not with the usual crowd of admirers and the needy jostling around him to announce his presence. You know, there would have been a lot of noise of people, you know, jostling and you know, like happened when he had a triumphal entry. No, but this time he comes in quietly. Also, in those first few days of the feast and while he stayed away, opinions about him were rife. Widespread whisperings, the Bible calls them, among the crowds. We are told here, why whispering? Because there were sanctions to be imposed on anyone who dared express an opinion about him publicly. Such was the hatred and such was the intensity of the opposition and the determination to ensure that he did not have followers of any significance. One of the severest sanctions that um, was uh, pronounced was excommunication from the synagogue. And that was very severe for the average Jew. Let us stop a little and take a, a look at these opinions. Some said he was a good man. Others said he was deceiving the people. But the beneficiaries, always bear that in mind, the direct beneficiaries of his ministry of compassion would always stand out as we read in John 9, 24. So for a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. <laughs> but he responded, I don't know whether he is a sinner or not. But the one thing I do know is that I used to be blind. And now I can see. Hallelujah. So the, the theological question of whether the man is a sinner or not, I leave that to you. <laughs> but I can tell you that I'm a beneficiary of his awesome power and compassion. And that you can see for yourself. Direct and indirect beneficiaries of his compassion have their incontrovertible evidence of his goodness. But the religious leaders could not imagine how someone 
they did not bring up in their theological school could have so much spiritual authority and power. That's the whole problem. You know, we didn't certify him. He didn't attend one of our rabbinical colleges. How come he knows so much? How come he can, he can expound the, the mysteries of the Bible? But there is something that is clearly distinctive about the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? The Bible says in verse 14, halfway through the festival, he went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews were astonished and remarked, how can this man be so educated when he has never gone to school? Jesus replied to them, my teaching is not mine, but comes from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether this teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own praise. But the one who seeks the praise of him who sent him is true. And there is nothing false in him. Now, we are told that the venue of this teaching was the open court of the Gentiles, where people were wont to gather freely. And rabbis used the opportunity to instruct the people. So here was his strategy. He delays his arrival until the tension about his presence at the feast had waxed and waned. He arrives secretly, but begins to teach openly. And his style of teaching was remarkably different from that of those who came from their rabbinical schools. Products of their rabbinical schools would always cite authorities to validate their postulations. In other words, if they say something, they will say, according to rabbi so-and-so, or according to rabbi so-and-so, they will always do that. You know, they will cite authorities. But our Lord Jesus Christ was the authority himself, and he spoke with authority without reference to anyone else. We have samples of his style in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.21, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, you must not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to punishment. But I say to you, I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to punishment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be subject to the council. And whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Jesus said, this is what they say. This is what they teach according to rabbinical authority. But I say to you, the crowd recognized the difference. In Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he thought, taught them with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. You know, this response was repeated in different places. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Shabbat day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Yes, that's why our Lord Jesus Christ could condemn evil. You know, he said, no, no, 
You are hypocrites. You do this, you do that. If you if we read Matthew uh, 23, hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. It is no wonder that faith grew in the hearts of the common people who heard him, whose minds were not beclouded by the contradictory opinions of the so-called experts in the law. No, Jesus didn't teach like that. When you left him, you knew exactly right and wrong. So you can make your choice. Besides, his teachings were centered on doing the will of God. You know, even in our, in spite of the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ has come and gone, even today, we are still having challenges focusing our own spiritual lives in doing the will of God the way God wants it. That's why, you see, there is a sense in which we all have, you know, even though we are, our callings are different and our programs are different, but we have the same agenda to do the will of God. Whether you are a doctor or a lawyer or a judge or do the will of God, you know, integrity, honesty. That's why I, I say to people, righteousness, it doesn't have tribe. It doesn't have a, a race. It doesn't, it's, it's just the truth about God that we are called to lead righteous lives. So Jesus centered his teaching on the will of God. How you and I are called to do things God's way so that the kingdom of God can prosper. One of the scriptures I like very much is in uh, uh, Acts chapter 8, I think it's verse 4. The Bible says, Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ. You know, he, he, he centered his gospel on the man, Jesus Christ, you know, and, and how, yes, verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. The Christ who incarnated, the Christ who came and died for our sins, the Christ who sent us the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in love and live godly and do the will of God on earth as it is done in heaven. It's not a complicated gospel. So, our Lord Jesus Christ focused his listeners on loving their God and doing his will, walking in his truths and serving him. With such a gospel, he says, there is neither praise for the preacher nor falsehood in his doctrine because it's all what we call theocentric gospel, all about God, his will, his ways. There is neither praise for the preacher nor falsehood in him this is the theocentric gospel as it should be. This is what makes the difference. This is what makes the difference. Our Lord Jesus said of them that their teachings, they were geared towards getting praise from men. But when the teaching is directed at growing a family of believers, men and women who would be kings and priests unto our God, men and women who will walk the earth doing the will of God for their lives as Jesus did it, men and women who will be committed to obeying God and loving him and serving him. See, this is the gospel we are called to preach, to raise men and women for God. I've told you once before that uh, I've been in uh, congregations and settings 
where people are raising men and women for their churches. And I said to them, no, no, don't raise men and women for your church. Raise men and women for God. And then they will serve uh, God in the church. They will not serve the church. They will serve God in the church. Why does that protect them? So that when the church deviates from God, they will still serve God and leave the church. You know. So it is important for you and I to understand that. We are called to serve God, to do the will of God. A lot of people uh, put so much emphasis, you know, on um, organizations. No, no. We must serve God so that if our, the truth about God, the truth about Christ is being violated where we are, ah, we can opt out, can opt out and find like-minded people who love and serve the Lord. It's very important because somebody has said that if the people who were in, um, what is the name of the man, Jim Jones's church, if they had that mindset, they wouldn't have followed him to their, to their death. You know, they will not have followed him. So, so, so we are called to, to, to be members. Like the Bible says, you are members of the body of Christ, but you are still individuals. You know, First Corinthians 12, 27 calls it members in particular. So that we follow God as a church family, as a body of Christ but we still follow him individually so that we, may, we can be protected if the group is in error and persists in being in error. So we're called to do God's way. We're called to do it in God's way and in God's timing. And that is the clear lesson we pick up from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our preaching, the gospel we preach must be theocentric. It must be centered on the will of God, guiding our hearers to do the will of God in their lives and only do it in God's way. You know, you can do the will of God man's way, okay? What is the will of God? That, um, let me, let me put, give a simple example that um, I, 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 I donate a car uh, to, to the church. Okay, that's the will of God and I received it. But then I cannot then go and embezzle money in my office so that I can donate the car. No. You see, I have to wait until I earn the income and until I obtain the resources legitimately to be able to do that, I believe God wants me to do. So when I violate the principles of godliness in order to do the presumed will of God, that's an error completely. And that's what we must teach everywhere we go, that nobody does the will of God the way of man. We do the will of God in God's way so that we will have divine approval. I pray that uh, as we follow our Lord Jesus Christ and watch the careful way he lived his life, you and I will be so happy that we choose to follow in his steps. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Doctor. You know, one of the things that is very intriguing is almost like the concept of Google Maps. You seem to suggest that the Lord Jesus had turn-by-turn -turn navigation. And in our own day, that's something that we would like to have, each and every one of us. What are the steps? 
Well, well, you see, the, the whole idea of being led by God in all things is a matter. The, the first thing is desire. Do you really want to be led? Because a lot of people don't want to be led. You know, they have this fear that if you follow God in everything, you may not do all the things you want to do. You know, and so there must be a deliberate decision to be led by God in all things. Then that creates um, the only important question after that. How do I know exactly what God wants, you know, each time? And what I say to believers is remember that God is a good God, okay? And that God, besides being a good God, he wants you to do things his way. So there is a great onus on him to ensure that you get to find out what he wants. If, if you, all you need to do is to remain open, remain open and and you may be surprised, you know, I, I tell people that guidance, guidance can come to you in different ways. Uh, once I was looking for, um, um, I, I think I've told this story before, we're on a long fast, and that fast had assumed a life of its own, that assumed a life of its own, that it was like you couldn't stop it anymore. But then, you know, exams were coming, it was all in the university. And, and we needed to really stop it. But it has assumed a life of its own. And then I opened um, um, Genesis. I was reading Genesis, just part of a normal reading, uh, Genesis. And I found where it was said that uh, the children of Israel, they mourned for Jacob 70 days. 70 days. And you know the way that 70 days just popped out. You know? <laughs> 70 days. Okay. And um, we were in the 65th day. day. It's okay. So at 70 days, you stop. Somebody will say, no, that 70 days has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with your fast. <laughs> that is the kind of thing critics say. I say, indeed, it doesn't have anything to do with my fast. But I needed a date. I needed a, a date or a day, you know, to, to conclude this fast. And I was incapable of doing it because the fast had assumed a life of its own. And then uh, that 70 days helped me to, to bring it to a conclusion. So, so there are many things like that, that you are led. You know, a critic on the side will say, oh, that doesn't have anything. But the man that's talking to, oh, yes, you know what they're saying. You know what they're saying, you know. Because um, you know what it's referring to, where you are. You know? So that's why oh, once you decide that I want to do God's will, he will make sure you get to know what he wants. You know? But besides that, that, that we have the spirit of God inside us. And the apostle Paul calls it in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the communion of the Holy Spirit. And that communion is when the spirit of God speaks to the spirit in me, the quickened. You see, when you're born again, that quick, this spirit is quickened and the line of communication exists now between the spirit of God and the spirit in man, okay? And, and that's why the apostle Paul said, we receive these things, you know, by the spirit, you know. 
take it. Let, take a trip quickly to um, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, um, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. And we will see it there. I, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. But now look at the next verse. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit of God searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Okay? For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So, the spirit of God. What is the apostle Paul saying? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm in Lagos. I want to go to battle. The spirit of God searches the mind of God for me. Okay, is there a battle in the mind of God for me in this season? Okay, and then he returns that the result of that search to me. There is a battle or there is no battle. And on the basis of that, I make my decision. That is, this is the process. So I, 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 I'm, I am ready to follow whatever the spirit says. But now, again, somebody on the side might say, but then, what you are hearing inside, how do you know it is the Spirit of God? And that's a very important question. Because what you hear inside can come from you. Okay? If I wanted to go to that, but I would be hearing Ibadu, 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 Ibadu. You know, I won't hear any other thing. You know? Somebody also may suggest, oh, but the devil can superimpose. Oh, yes. The devil, when he tempted Jesus, he spoke to him. You know, he spoke to his mind. It wasn't a visible devil. It was a communion in his mind. Okay? And then somebody might say, oh, oh, it might be, it might be something you have heard somewhere. Yes, all these are poss possibilities. But I tell every individual to remember that God is a good God. And he's aware that all these voices are there. And so when I, when I kneel down to say, Lord, I will do it your way. Whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, I'll do it your way. When I pray such a simple prayer, I will wait to receive what he tells me. And it's by experience then I mature to hear the voice of God in my life. There is no magic to it. Thank you, doctor. And another thing that uh, came very forcefully is being comfortable swimming against the tide of public opinion. You know, when Jesus says, I'm not going. Because I can't just go. You can go anytime you like, but I can't go because I'm always telling them what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are very wary of speaking against what is popular. What do you have to say about that, sir? Well, this is, this is why our Lord Jesus Christ said that the opinions you have me, ex you, you heard me express, they are not mine. Okay. They are the ones of him that sent me. And that's why, whether the opinion is in line with public opinion, whether the, the view is against public opinion, is a material. It is what the father once said. That's what must be said. The effect it has in the world and in the public and in the audience. No, it's totally immaterial. 
So this this is this is what primary loyalty is. My my primary loyalty is to say things the way uh, God has communicated them to me, and and no matter who is offended, it's the material. That's what Jesus was saying to them. You didn't all these views I express that are not mine. The Father is like I'm a megaphone for the Father. So I don't I don't owe anybody any apologies. And so if we walk like that too, we will not be worried about men. And don't forget always that when the father says, go say this and that, he has taken the consequences into consideration because he knows the consequences of what um, um, you're saying. And so it's not because, oh, so-and-so is here. And I, I wouldn't preach about adultery. I will not preach about uh, corruption, you know, because somebody may be uh, offended. <laughs> Yes, somebody may be offended. No, no. If the message is today is on adultery, adultery, a message on adultery, you hear. You know, if it is on corruption, you hear. If it's on holiness, you hear. If it's on uh, 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 abundance, you hear. Whatever the father once said, you know, that's what I said to a young pastor. He told me, he said, you know, I preach in my church, and uh, and then sometimes the, the people are many, and then at other times they dwindle. I said, sir, please don't worry about how the people are responding. Every time you come to preach, be sure you have a message from God. That's all that matters. Whether they're waxing or waning, they'll just leave that to God. But just be sure you deliver what God wants you to deliver. Mm. You know, I've told you the story of a pastor that uh, was fired by his church. It's a Baptist church because they, they hire and fire their pastors. He came there and found that um, they were um, alcohol reading. You know, people will come uh, uh, to church on Sunday morning smelling of alcohol. And he preached every day on alcohol that you must, that there's a devil in the bottle, you, you must be delivered from it. After three months, the, the, the committee called him, pastor. Is it only this alcohol that uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you are finding in the Bible? The man replied, since I'm preaching it, nobody has repented. So you don't need to be hearing another gospel. The, 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 you're, you're bound in this one. You need to be delivered from it. So they sacked him. On his valedictory uh, service, he told them, you may have sacked me, but you will say you didn't hear that the alcohol will drive you to hell. <laughs> he was totally unrepentant. That is, that is it. If you go every day to write a message, and, and uh, in fact, there was another pastor, the same issue too. He, he started preaching on you must be born again. For 12 Sundays, you must be born again. The committee also called him. Is that the only thing they taught you in the Bible school? The man said, nobody has been born since I've, since I've been preaching it. So there's no discipleship. You cannot do discipleship for people who are not born. <laughs> so, you know, you know the, the, the people have a passion for what God wants them to, particularly to meet the spiritual need of the people, whether they recognize it or not, it's immaterial. And sometimes, of course, you'll be right, swimming against the tide. Very unpopular. So, uh, doctor, we have a question here. It says, I believe the more intimate we are with God, the easier we are to be led by his spirit. 
Do you agree? Well, that's sir? what and I, and, that, and if that's yes, what I call them you, experience. Sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. He says, if 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 you agree, then how do you yourself practically cultivate your intimacy with God? Yes, you see, the, the, the experience, you know, that intimacy comes through obedience. If if God, um, if God um, says to me, tomorrow, uh, one Mr. Johnson is going to come, that um, um, 5,000 you got at the POS today, for which you paid a premium, you know, give it to him. His case is worse than yours. And I say, Lord, Mr. Johnson can go and do the same thing in POSO. <laughs> but if, if I, I take get my POS money, and as soon as I see Mr. Johnson, say, God bless you, you know, then you see, that's how intimacy builds. God can now say, I have someone I can trust who does as I say. That's what intimacy is about. I have someone here. He does as I say. So when people obey God, ah, they become intimate. Intimacy grows, you know, in leaps and bounds. There's no magic to it. There's no magic to it, you know. The Spirit instructs you uh, when your uh, mother-in-law comes, um, um, uh, take her out and buy her a good present. Say, Lord, let me buy it for somebody else. <laughs> As a widow in the church, you know, that, uh, that needs... Uh, uh, is, is less better clothes than my mother-in-law. You know, when people argue about all these things, then they turn around and say, God and I, I don't seem to be close. I say, ah, you can't be close now. Look, look into the Bible. All the people who were close, they did as the Lord said. That's the only way to be close. Whatever, whether it's commanded in the Bible, whether it's spoken to your heart, you, you do as the Lord says. You will soon become very intimate. Because, you see, God needs people he can send. He needs people that will be his hands and feet and eyes and banks. You know, he needs people. And, and once he speaks to you and you don't argue, you don't question, you do as God tells you, ah, you and God will become very close. There's no magic to it. Amen. Uh, our, our last question says, please, sir, how do we reconcile? The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and on the one hand, and then on the other hand, hearing from God. And this person asks because he says, sometimes we find ourselves doing things which seem to align with God's will for us without deliberately asking to hear from God. At the end, you look back and see God's signature in the process. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But it's like somebody saying, um, 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 I, I wanted to go to Maryland and... Uh, I prayed, and then I saw traffic in um, um, from coming from Lake Kidatis. I saw traffic going towards um, Marina, and I turned back, you know, and took um, um, Cutter Bridge for those who know Lagos, you know, something like that. Not knowing that that um, Marina experience was to last only 10 minutes. And after that, oh yes, I would have a free ride the way I was going. But then I took Cutter Bridge. It took much longer. I still got to Maryland. Yes, yes. So, so, but the whole idea of seeking guidance is to reduce, I said so, unnecessary suffering. You see what our Lord Jesus Christ did, you know? 
he, he reduced unnecessary suffering, as we will see in the next study. By the time he got to Jerusalem, heaven had deployed. Heaven had deployed. Yes, I, I, I accept what you have said in principle, but we need to go on from there. You know, we need to go on to this deeper level at which our Lord Jesus Christ walked, you know, having precise control. I mean, look at, look at the story in Matthew chapter, I think 11 it is, when John the Baptist was killed. The Bible said, as soon as Jesus heard it, he departed to go to the mountain to pray. And then the multitude followed him. So he fed the 5,000. And after he fed the 5,000, he asked the disciples to enter the boat and cross over the other side. And Jesus continued because he needed to, to integrate the gruesome mother of John the Baptist into his program because he was in Galilee. And people were already telling him, depart from here, uh, uh, Herod wants to kill you. You know. So, so our Lord Jesus Christ um, um, carefully received detailed guidance from the Lord. So, so it's good. It's good to always commit your ways to the Lord. Yes, the, the, the ways of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord but also to seek precise guidance. You know, it helps. It reduces unnecessary suffering. Thank you, doctor. Please pray for us, sir. Okay, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you know each one of us. You know the road, the path we are treading. You know where we are going. You know when we are to arrive. You know how we are to travel. Please, we surrender to you, each and every one of us and ask that you may guide us in detail so that we will reduce unnecessary sufferings in our lives, just the way our Lord Jesus did it. He walked carefully. He followed your instructions. He followed your directives. And everything worked perfectly the way you wanted it. And that's what matters, for everything to work the way you want it. Lord, make us vessels like our Savior, so that the kingdom of our God will prosper in our hands. For it is in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Amen. Amen.